Nice. Audacity's rolling the voice. So the voice moving, looking lovely on the Audacity there. SQR Podcast, my boy Antoine Clark cracking in here. Founder, owner, Feds Magazine. Let's go. Let's do this. We're built for this. Podcast Court Rosenberg cranking in another fantastic evening. My boy Antoine Clark walking in on a classic podcast. Thank you so much for coming through, bro. Love the swagger, founder, owner of Feds Magazine. My dude. Thank you to his story. And before we even do that, please reach around, grab a Heineken from that gorgeous refrigerator right there. Bomb. I'll pop it open for you, my friend. Gorgeous. And of course, you're drinking these double zeros. Please enjoy. Toast. Anton Clark, owner, founder of Feds Magazine. You're in for a treat tonight. We're going to dig into his story, his life, and find out the inspiration behind this. Stay tuned. One. Podcast called Rosenberg. As I said before, we're rocking in on a classic podcast tonight, and my guest is I don't even want to use the word profound. It's like an adjective that's floating out here to describe how blessed we are to have my boy in the house tonight, Antoine Clark, founder, owner, Feds Magazine. And you're in for a treat tonight as we get ready to dissect his life. But you know my regular routine as I crack into the show. I take this moment to salute everybody that sliced this hour out of their day to be in the house. I want to clack in right now and give a big shout out to the entire crew. Thank you so much for Maddie for being on the camera. Big shout out to my boy Lou. Thank you so much Charles. You know, these guys make sure everything looks muy, muy bueno behind the scenes. Of course, in the house tonight, we are blessed and honored to have, you know, some vintage guests. You know, I want to take this moment to give a big shout out to my boy Max. Thank you so much, bro. The catalyst for my guests being here, of course. Executive producer behind the scenes, my boy Cheese. Thank you so much, bro, for blessing us. And my neighbor just blessed us with his presence. Brick, it's an honor to have you in the house, sir. Thank you so much for coming in. My boy A.T. Jones on the back, tickling those keys on the rolling. Yo, everything is muy bueno right now. Podcast is completely composed of everybody giving their talent. And before I even sneak off and not even give this person their prop. Thank you so much to my wife, Ellie, holding us down on the food and holding us down on the audio, making sure everything is great. But as we crack into my boy tonight, tonight we're blessed to have Antoine in the house. Thank you so much, sir. Antoine Clark, co-owner, founder of Feds Magazine, you know, sliced his day out and made sure he was here tonight to share a little bit of the inspiration, the history, and what's coming up with this whole project. Thank you so much, sir, for being here. Thanks for having me. Can we just lift these beautiful green bottles, the Heineken's that we drink toast? As I said, best beer brewed, and of course, we drink responsibly here on Escure Podcast. Thank you so much to our sponsor, Heineken. Antoine, thank you so much, bro, for being here. No problem. I know it was um, a hectic day. I know we made three attempts at this. But let me ask you, I asked you to show up at the studio. I told you where we were. GPS led you around the corner. You called me and it's like, dude, I can't find this place. Where where we at? So I kind of guide you to here. You pulled up, jumped out of the car. What was your first impression when we walked in? 
When I walked in? No, when, when he walked into the, when I, put, when I met you outside in the building. Where the fuck am I at? <laughs> For real, right? What the fuck is going on? Right? Mm-hmm. Grimy. You know, it kind of adds to the ambiance of the park. So I take you into the elevator. Things look a little bit civilized. We come up in the elevator, of course, 1860s elevator. You walk into the studio. Your thoughts, my friend? Much different. Totally different. Comfortability. Nice. Thank you so much for risking walking through that dark alley with me. I know we were coming through. You were sharing a little bit of story about one of your boys who was making fun of you. It's actually my brother. What, what happened? Um, you know, I interview a lot of gangsters and criminals, so, you know, during that process, we go a lot of different places around the country, and a lot of different dark alleys and dark projects and stuff like that, and he's always laughing, saying, I never say how dangerous the area is, I only look for rats, and there's <laughs> rats. He's like, this guy's been terrified of rats since he was a kid. He walks in the street, he doesn't get on sidewalks, I don't walk around garbage bags, I'm just afraid of rats. You're, you know, it's so funny. On, on the podcast, we, we dig into our guests. And before I even start to crack into your life, your phobia for rats, where did that come from? Um, when I was a kid, my mother used to tell me to take out the garbage and where we lived. Uh, unfortunately, it was abandoned a lot across the street. So I used to have to go downstairs, make a little turn, and take the garbage down into like a little cave, it looked like. And that was where all the rats hung out, right? So when my mother would tell me to take the garbage out, I would just stand on the top of the stairs and throw it, you know, and tell her, no, no, I went all the way down, but there was no way I was going down there because I saw the rats. You know what? Thank you for sharing that little tidbit, and let me apologize for bringing back those memories, but I salute you for walking with me through and going up here in the studio because tonight it's going to be epic as we dissect the life of the brains behind such a phenomenal culture-impacting magazine, the Feds magazine. No, thank you so much for even embarking on the walk because... The stories that you tapped into, I can only imagine. And I want to go back to, you know, what inspired that. But before we do that, share with me a little bit the background, the family background. You were talking about mom. When you entered this world, what was the makeup like of the family? Um, I grew up in a single household. My mother was it all. She was my mother, my father, my best friend. She was it all. Then I had a grandmother. I had uncles and stuff like that. But I never had a father figure. So it was a little different. You know, I had family members on drugs and stuff like that. You know, regular inner household thing that happened in the gutter, as I would say. I want to kind of slow things down, because when you said, um, you know, you know, you never had a father, the father was in the picture at some time, so when you were born, he no, was No, my father wasn't really in the picture. At all? No, he, he wasn't in the picture. I used to give him that credit and say, yeah, he was in the picture, but he wasn't. I have a younger brother who's uh, six years younger than me, he doesn't know him at all, no memories. It happens. It's part of what goes on in the inner city. We're without fathers and some of us without mothers. Mm. I don't want to be casual about that that journey because I, I respect the way you're, and I think retrospectively now that you're, you know, not only accomplished, but you're able to look back, you know, because when you think about it, it just sounds so crazy. Your mom, your best friend. Of course. What's her name? Brenda. Brenda. Can we give a toast to Brenda? Oh, no question. So it's your mom, yourself, and your younger brother. My brother. Growing up where? On the Bronx, in the city Bronx. So she's working, babysitters filling in as she's trying no to- babysitter, I'm the babysitter. What was the age difference? Um, well, I'm six years uh, older than my brother, so when I was 10, he was four. 
So where I went, he went. When I went to the park, he went to the park. When I strayed and did something, he strayed and did something. What I did, he did. What was it like? Because basically the way you're, you're telling, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm sensing that you were, you literally became a man at that age. Because with no man in the, in the picture, your mom holding down the household, working, you had to take care of your younger brother. Well, I wouldn't say that I became a man because I didn't do anything mm, like a man. I still did everything like a child. You know, we played sports, we played tag. We did everything like children, you know what I mean? I just had to take care of my little brother. That was just a responsibility that I had, and I enjoyed it. No, what's so funny is on Escure Podcast, when you say something profound, we call it dropping a jewel. Mm -hmm. And it's very fascinating that you're saying that you enjoyed that role. You know, because there's other kids who are like, well, why do I have to do this? I want to go hang out with my friends, because the age difference is pretty significant. You know, so I respect you for not only realizing that was your role at the time, but owning it. Mm-hmm. You mentioned you had aunts and uncles around you. What was that whole environment like? With your cousins, what was that whole dynamic um, like? Yeah, I had a lot of cousins and aunts and stuff. Some worked, but majority were on drugs. And you knew that at that age? Of course, you can see it. I was a product of the environment. Let's dig a little bit deeper. You said everybody was on drugs. This year no, was not the- everyone. They were. Right, the the inner inner family, my closest family members. So my my uncle, my aunt, you know, those are the people you're gonna look for for guidance. And they're on drugs. Correct. If you don't mind me asking, what drug of choice was that? Heroin. So this is the Bronx. What year is this in this? Um, early seventies, early eighties. It never stopped. It went from heroin to now that not now, but. It goes from heroin to you use other drugs. That's what happens when you're addicted to drugs. Not when you're a casual user, when you're addicted to drugs. There's a difference. So paint, paint the picture of your typical Saturday morning. Oh, it was regular to me. My mother took care of us. So I saw nothing incorrect. Like I said, she was a mother and a father. So she told us what not to do and what we could do, and we respected her. So it was normal. We got up, we had chores. Um, I did my chores. Uh, I talked to my mother for a little while, and she allowed me to go outside, and I had a curfew. And I came back inside, ate my dinner, and I went to sleep for the next day. Everything was normal. SQR Podcast called Rosenberg, as we get ready to wrap into this first segment, I want to salute you, and I want to salute Brenda, for laying out a structure and you not rebelling against any form of that, my dude. Based on what I heard, you just accepted the guidelines and supported that. Of course. SQR Podcast, Will Rosenberg, my boy, Anton Clark, founder, owner of Feds, Ma- Feds Magazine. I'm tripping over myself because I'm so honored to have you here at the table because I bought this mag. I oh, read some of these that. stories. Appreciate that. You know, so once we dig through this, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna slice this up, come back, and take a nice stroll to right here. SQR Podcast, Will Rosenberg, Anton Clark. Stay tuned. One. SQL Podcast, Gore Rosenberg kicking in. You know, as I said, we're just taking this casual, and I use the word lightly, stroll to my boy, Antoine Clark's life, you know, because once we finally get up to the the, 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 the end of the product with this, the Feds magazine, the stories that I'm going to peel off, is, I got to be fascinating. However, I, I like to hear what led to right here, you know, what, had, what led to that creation. So... We never got your youngest brother's name. 
Jamel. Jamel. So it's just both of you. That's it. Going through elementary school, high school, what was that transition like? I was good. I was a good student. You know, I did well in school. So everything was fine. What about considering that, and here's why I'm playing devil's advocate. You are um, no dad in the home. You grew up in the Bronx. The drug scene is rampant. What were the distractions like at that time? Okay, I didn't have uh, as many distractions as you would think I had, like I said, because my mother was so disciplined at the time. So I pretty much listened to her. So even though everything was in my neighborhood, I accepted it. So when you accept it, it don't distract you. When you don't accept it, it distracts you because you look at everything like, whoa, that's ugly, this is nasty, they're ugly, they're criminals, they're this. When you accept it, it doesn't bother you. So I accepted it so it didn't bother me. Um, what's so funny is casual as that you just made that comment. That's a significant jewel on the show because you said, you know, because you're used to it, it doesn't bother you. So you see past that. And what's so funny is there's a lot of people who are influenced by that. You know, so there's something there that you weren't, and I think it goes back, to, as you said, to your mom, because she laid those groundwork, so you didn't even be bothered by that distraction. You just looked past that. Grades were on point. Grades were so-so. I'm not going to say they were on point. They were excellent when I was in uh, middle school to junior high, then they started to drift. You know, as you get older, you become a little more into yourself. You start to drift. So not every, but a lot of kids start to drift away from their parents. They start to grow into themselves, and they start to try things that they shouldn't try. What were, you, what were you messing around with? Um, I wasn't messing around with anything, but the distraction was the women. So that distracted me in school. So I had a child young while I was still in high school, but I was distracted. My distracted, like a distractment, like I said, was the women. Mm. You said you had a child in high school. Correct. How did you handle being a father at that age? Um, I jumped right into it because I had to. You know, no one showed me what to do, but I knew what not to do. So what, what, what I knew what not to do was the neglect, because I knew what it did to me. Wow, it was heavy. It's interesting because normally people duplicate what their parents have done, right. whether consciously or subconsciously. So um, as you were sharing that, you know, my, my inclination was you probably you know, said, hey, you know, I don't know how to deal with this, so I'm gonna run for the hills because that's what your dad did. Right. In, in reality, you did the complete opposite. Right. Wow. You had a boy or a girl? I had a girl. What's her name? Kianda. Wow. How old is she right now? She's 32. Wow. Looking back, any strength or reflection on that experience now that you've had her and she's 32 and doing her own thing? Ah, oh, it was, it changed me. That's what made me a man. That's when I had to do things that a man does. Before I had, I did things that, you know, a brother did. A child do with their brother, with yeah. their sibling. Now I had to do things as, as an adult, as a man. I had to think of them before myself. Do you remember um, when you found out? Because I'm assuming the, the mother, was she your girlfriend, a long-term girlfriend? Or was this like Yeah, she was my girlfriend at the time. What was your reaction when you found out she was pregnant? I was hurt. I knew I wasn't ready. But I was hurt. What was her reaction? Um... She was a little scared. We were teenagers, you know? Of course she would be scared. What was your mom's reaction? Um, like I said, my mom's real supportive. So she was a little hurt, but she was supportive. Mm. I um, am fascinated that you were that vulnerable with that. 
So in high school, you're able to, you had a child. Right. Grades are so-so. So, so. You graduated. No. Never said that before. I never told anyone that, but no, I didn't. If I'd have graduated, I'd be on another level right now. If I'd have went to college, the people that I would have met throughout college that would have took me further with this journey because we'd have had a connection. They'd have been journalists. I'd have known journalists. Instead of hustling around to find journalists, I'd have knew journalists. So my journey would have been much easier. Ask your podcast for Rosenberg. My boy Anton Clark dropping a lot of jewels right now because retrospectively you're able to say that. Mm-hmm. Because you realize that you know, I wouldn't call it a mistake because your daughter was a product of that. You know, oh, never was my daughter a mistake. Never that. I was afraid and scared, but she was a mistake. We were having sex. You know, I wouldn't call it a mistake, but when you're young, that is not something that you should look forward to. You're not prepared for that. You're still a child yourself. Still things you should want to do yourself. Wow. You navigate out of high school. You know, straight into the working field. Right. What was the first job? Oh, the first job I took up was uh, I was a, a, a warehouse stockman at Saks Fifth Avenue. So I stocked the clothes at Saks Fifth Avenue. You navigated that world. How was that whole? Were you just, I mean, because I'm trying to find out how we got to here. You know, yeah. the brains behind this phenomenal magazine going through Saks was there anybody that you met that were just like in, in, install those work ethics that you ah uh, no one no one everything when I was in Saks I uh, met a Haitian man he did the cleanup part he did uh, he worked for Allied Maintenance so I was a stock boy but he was hired to come in and clean so what I did know is never judge someone by their cover because there was plenty of gentlemen that worked in the stock department like me, stocking clothes to ship out. We were in the shipping stock department to ship out to other Saks Fifth Avenues around the country. So they were higher up people that they came to work dressed pretty neatly and everything, but he was a maintenance man. And when he talked to me about his salary, I asked him, could I switch over? And he said, uh, they can't do that in this company. But I convinced them that I needed to switch over and they allowed me to switch from working for Saks Fifth Avenue to working for Allied Maintenance Company because it's like, ah, oh, you don't want to clean up. But I did because it was a difference in dollar. The maintenance man made more than the man stocking this stuff. The maintenance man was dirty, but he made more. Mm. What's so funny is, and I'm so glad you shared that because it's so crazy because a lot of people would look aesthetically and be like, I don't want to do that. But you were all about the money because you had a family to support. Correct. At that point, I didn't have a daughter. She wasn't there yet, but I just wanted to work. Where did that come from? Not having a father. You don't have a father, you in a poor environment, there's choices you have to make. You're gonna work or you're not gonna work. I've had guests sitting right there, same position, and they've gone to the streets to generate that income. That's why I wanted to poke on what was that <clears throat> was it an uncle you spoke to or grandfather? Because, my dude, it, it, it sounds interesting, and I compliment you on this, but immediately right. you had the backbone to go survive for yourself. Right. So you tell me you did that whole sex working without prior to having your kid. Correct. So you had the, 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 the will to drive and go get it. Correct. Finished up with sex, got into the cleaning company. Correct navigated those did you get promoted how was that journey um the cleaning company shut down after about a year or so so it shut down what was your next move from there um i was out in the wind i um started to walk 
from uh, the Bronx, I walked all the way to the village. That's a pretty long walk. I walked from uh, Mount 161st Street in the Bronx to the village. I stopped at every Foot Locker, McDonald's, Burger King, you name it, I stopped in it to get the next job. Because then my daughter was coming, so I had to prepare for real life. Antoine, through this entire journey, you've never, and, and I'm, I'm gonna, I'm, as, as I said, I'm being devil's advocate. You haven't, considering that, no, you're out on your butt, my dude. The streets calling, drugs moving. You stayed diligent to finding a nine to five job to provide for your daughter who's now coming in. Correct. Esquire podcast for Rosenberg. I think I'm really understanding the diligence and the stick to witness that it's taking you to get to where you are right now. You know, we're going to take a quick break, come back, and let's pick up on how you started writing. Let's pick up on how you started pulling the journalists together and how you got to where Feds Magazine became the premier mag that was the language of the street so people can understand and hear the stories that are not told. SQR Podcast, Core Rosenberg, my boy Antoine Clark, digging through his life. We're going to take a quick break, come back, and pick up on the journey in the beginning of Feds Magazine. One. <laughs> Your podcast for Rosenberg, kicking back with my boy Anton Clark, owner, founder of Feds Magazine. You know, let me just clear the palette real quick because where we left off, you know, number one, I want to salute you because what you said was so profound. You you shared something you've never told anybody before about not finishing high school, not going to college, and to realize that you being the brains behind the Feds Magazine. It's almost interesting almost, you know, and I paused because I'm looking for the right word, you know, because everybody else in your position is not going to be propelled to be as diligent, as disciplined, and you seem to have had that, stri- that stream throughout your entire life. You know, I know Barbara, your mom was... Instru- Brenda. Thank you for correcting that. Brenda, your mom was instrumental in, in, in planting that in you, but as you moved through, <clears throat> you got hired lost your job in this hiatus of a work you still remain disciplined you walked from the bronx to the village looking for work correct pick up from there well i didn't find work so i um had to go to alternative means expound on alternative means uh underground things of the ghetto you know i had to experiment whether it was rolling dice whether it was whatever comes with the underworld do you remember, um, you know, going through that time? Because it seemed like you never gave up on finding that legitimate field. No question. When was the transition into writing, being a journalist, telling other stories, other people's stories come into play? Um, well, I always had, like, a, a, a dream to do a publication. That was always something that I thought, like, it was possible, you know, to do a magazine. I used to get the uh, National Choir. I think it's the National Choir and <coughs> Star. Star magazine. Yeah, I remember Star. Talked about aliens and all that. Yeah, yeah, I remember crazy Star. Shit. Yeah, yeah. The supermarkets. That was my magazine. And then the real estate book. Those were the things that I liked. So I always, you know, was excited about and, inter- and, and was interested in publishing because of that. I was like, wow, it was too easy for them to get my 395. Wow, it's, these are convenience stores that I frequent. You know, everything was tangible. 
you know, in the magazine scene. Like, they talk about it in music, like, hey, I need distribution, I need a record store. When I seen a magazine, I saw everything is tangible. You know, like, okay, the first stages of it I can do. I can get it into stores, because I, can't, I may not be able to get into major stores, but I can get it into bodegas. I can get it on newsstands. I can do that. Looking back now, because I mean, we're going to move forward into how you really got deep into the production of the Fed's, you know, empire. Looking back from now, do you think there was a family member, friend, uncle, somebody who, you know, you were inspired by that kind of propelled you down this lane? I was, nah, I was excited with Larry Flint. That's it. <laughs> Straight up Larry Flint. Larry Flint. Wow. So let's go into this. Your first publication, what was it called? Uh, what's Feds? How did you come up with the name? Uh, well, I sat around and um, I, I, I sat and I stared and stared and couldn't come up with a name. And a gentleman that was in the music business took me to a meeting uh, with the first owners of The Source magazine. It was a man by the name of John Sector. Him and uh, David Mays owned The Source. Yeah, I remember David Mays. Right, so him and David Mays were partners in The Source magazine years ago. So he took me to John Sector. And when I met with John Sector, we met in the village and uh, I wasn't too excited about the meeting because I was still thinking about the name for my magazine. Okay. So you know, I was still in thought. So even though we were talking, I was in thought. So the restaurant we were that we was at was called Fez downtown in the village. So, you know, the name was, was sitting in my head, you know, Fez, okay, it just sounds like something. So um, while we were at the table, they were talking about something else they were doing, and they were talking about an acronym. So now I'm excited, I'm sitting there still, I'm not excited about the meeting with John Sector of The Source Magazine, I'm still yeah. thinking about my project, my name. So um, I put Feds instead of Fez or whatever, yeah, I said yeah, Feds. Yeah. And then while we were talking, I started playing with my own acronym in my head. And before I left that table, I didn't come out of it with a deal with the Source magazine at the time. Yeah. But I did come out with a, a name for my magazine. Wow. From that meeting. From that meeting. The funny thing about it is that, you know, through this meeting, and I'm glad you shared it because here's your opportunity to uh, facilitate or align yourself with a major magazine at the time. These guys well, John making... Sector had already left the source. So he had just left the source magazine and he was just looking for other things. Mm. I'm, I'm, I'm very impressed that you were so still disciplined on your move, like what you were working on, you know, through that whole entire meeting. Leaving that meeting now, you don't get the deal that you wanted, but now you got your name. You go back, you put the magazine together, your first publication. What was the story about? Uh, the story was about a, a Harlem group of guys by the name of AZ, Alpo, and Rich Porter. They later made a movie about that issue called Paid in Full. I remember that movie. Correct. I actually remember that episode in the Feds magazine, actually. Correct. You were able to interview and get original pieces from everybody that was a part of that crew. Direct members. Not everyone that was a part of the, the crew. I wanted the key members. You know, this is Feds, like the federal government. You, you go for the top members, right? How are you able to tap in and get these guys to you know to be so vulnerable in your stories? Because when I read those magazines, bro, your stories got deeper than any other person could. How were you able to get that? Like I said, the idea for Feds Magazine was way before the publication came out. So any idea that you come up with, you have to structure yourself on a plan of attack. 
So my plan of attack was how do I get to them? Excuse up podcast called Rosenberg, my boy Antoine Clark dropping a jewel right there. Say that again. Plan of attack. You have to have a plan of, uh, plan of attack before you go in. Correct. Go ahead. So my plan of attack was how do I get to them? So, you know, I had to spend time in a house, spend time alone to think, how am I going to get to these people? They're dangerous. They're vicious. If you think when you quote a hip hop uh, artist, when you do an interview incorrectly and you quote them wrong, they get mad. Imagine if you quote a killer wrong, how disturbed they are. So I had to plan my, my attack mode and my attack system was, okay, each of them did something that was different, but every one of them did something the same. And I was what? Build a name for themselves. Like an artist, if you want to build a name for yourself, evidently you're not hiding your crime. Everyone says the drug dealers are supposed to be low and shit like that. Nah, these guys were low, you're driving big cars, you're busting wheelies, you're out at all the clubs with big jewelry. You want to be known, you want to be seen. So now I have to approach you the right way to explain to you that I'm going to keep you relevant because I am starting to understand that that's the most important part of your life is to stay relevant. How old are you at this time? Mm, I was in my 20s. The vision and the, um, the maturity at which you tackle that task is, is complimentary, my friend. Thank you. Because... You didn't get caught up in the hype. You stayed focused on your dream. You stayed focused on your plan, your plan of attack. I want to hear a story of- Oh, I don't uh, mean cutting you off, but one thing that discouraged me, when I left the meeting with John Sector, I, I had other publishing meetings. They each told me that I needed $500,000 or less to continue this dream. It was not going to happen in publishing because you needed $500,000 to start publishing because you, you had to go through maybe four or five issues before you found yourself a return. How did you turn that around? I'm from the bottom, as they said, the concrete. When, you, when you're from the bottom, you're not handed a silver spoon. So either you're gonna do something and save and turn it over, or you're gonna do something, you're just gonna spend it and frivolously on stupid shit. <clears throat> Which so, is what a lot of us are doing out here right correctly. now. Correctly. So I said, um, okay, I'm gonna save, I'm gonna do it from the bottom. I think that someone's gonna purchase this. So I bought a few issues, sold those issues, turned that money, and went to the next and built it. So I started from the bottom, but I had something that they liked. So it was different than using $500,000. If you use $500,000 and you don't have something that they like, of course you need that much money for your marketing and promotion. To sell the BS. To sell them the product. I didn't have any marketing nor promotion in the beginning. I just had, had a product. product. Correct. Let me ask you this. Can you um, reflect on one of your most profound interviews? One of the biggest oh. gangsters that before you even met with this guy, you were like, shit, I got to be on point. Um, well, at the time, most of the guys were in prison. But uh, one of the stories that uh, kind of excited me at the time, and I didn't understand uh, what I had and what I was doing completely. I thought I did because, like I said, I'm from the bottom, the gutter. Yeah. So I figured, hey, I know this stuff. Relatable. Co correct. So I, I had a group of women that was writing me, and they wanted me to do their story, and uh, they were called Thrill Murders. So, you know, at the time, I was excited because what they were telling me was so exciting, how they killed numerous people, and if they got the opportunity that they'd kill again, and, you know, that, and I asked them why. And these are women. Women. So I asked them, uh, why did they kill? And they said they killed because they wanted to see the body hit the floor. 
And I said, but why? And he said, that's what we wanted to see. The body hit the floor. And he told me this, and I was excited because of the headline. What I did understand about magazines was the cover, the headline excites people. So that was an exciting headline for me. Body hits the floor. Body hits the floor. Women, thrill murderers, speaks out. So I was excited. So about a month later, I'm into the story. I'm talking to another uh, criminal, Kingpin or whatever, killer, on the phone. And uh, I'm trying to persuade him to give me a story. So he asked me, what do I have coming? So I said, I got this thrill murder shit that's coming. It's, these fucking girls is fucking out of the fucking planet. So I described the story with him. And at that point, I learned something that I didn't know. He said, oh, hey, Antoine, that's dangerous. I said, dangerous? That's exciting. What are you talking about? It's no different than your story. He said, it is. I'm fighting for parole. He said, do you know how many people that's in prison, truthfully, that want another chance to get out of prison? He said, those women are telling you if they get out, they're going to do it again. He said, that's excellent for the parole board because now when the parole board gets us in front of them, they're going to use their story and say, no, 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 they don't change. They're mm -hmm. going to completely do it again. Look at these women. So I had to sit back and analyze what he said, and it brought me to another understanding of, okay, I have to really, really watch what I write, protect what I write, and do it with caution. It's your podcast called Rosenberg. Very powerful perspective right there, my youth very powerful because at the end of the day there is some power in what you're about to the story you're about to tell correct exciting thrill murders women killers wow the fact that you were conscious about that move is, is really what's profound right now i want to take a quick break i want to come back i want to pick up from your continuing stories in the fed magazine and what you're working on now I know there's a lot of things that you can't really talk about, but I want people to know that they can tap into where you are, how they can line them, get some of that old um, archive footage, where can they you know, get that stuff, because that's still really needed right now. And some of the stories that are coming up. SQR Podcast, Cole Rosenberg, Antoine Clark, owner, founder, Feds Magazine. Classic stuff coming at you right now. Stay tuned, one. Escure Podcast, Score Rosenberg, as we get ready to slice into the fourth quarter here with my boy, Antoine Clark, you know, founder, you know, the, the brains owner behind the Feds Magazine. And I'm glad you shared a little tidbit right there. I have to kind of go back a little bit, and I'm going to do this very quickly because here's somebody who, and I'm glad you shared this about, you know, not having the typical high school and tertiary education to, to, to navigate the typical world, but you were able to still navigate being the brains behind this magazine. You're editing, finding the right journalist. I mean, how did you pull that together? Good content, I think. You know, good t content helped me a, a, a great deal of the way. And then connecting myself with the right people. Escure podcast, a lot of jewels being dropped right now, ladies. You need to stay focused as, as, he, as he rips into this. You know, that is so true in life when anything you do, you know, staying focused and connecting yourself with the right people. You know, I'm, I'm curious to find out, you've been in, on a lot of interviews, MSNBC, right. you know, the New York Times. How, how has it been being on that side of the, the spectrum? Um, at first it was a little scary because I, I, met, uh, I met a lot of the black publishers and the Ebony's, the Black Enterprise, uh, Source Magazine, XXL, 
and a whole bunch of them at, at, at my beginning journeys, and none of them seemed to understand my topic, so I thought. So then out of nowhere, I'm sitting in my house one day, and my phone rings, and a woman picked, uh, I pick up the phone, and a woman says, uh, hello, I want to speak to Antoine, and I said, this is he, and I said, I'm Catherine Cryer from the Cryer Show on Court TV. So at this point, my number was in probably my grandfather's name, so I was like, "Who you find this? How the hell did you get my number?" <laughs> so uh, my first instincts was to hang up. So I hung up the phone. She called back and she said, "No, I want you to hear something, Antoine, because we want you to come down there, appear to show. This is real." So she said, uh, five, four, three, turn your TV on, Antoine. Put it on my show. Two, one, I'm going on set." And she walked into the screen, and then she called me back. And she said, uh, we want to start to interview you, you know, while station and other stations. So uh, my interview process slowly started to turn around. The New York Times came, Rolling Stone, Vanity Fair, Spin Magazine, MSTV, you name it, I appeared in it. And what did, what did they want to get out of you? Um, they were fascinated by the fact that I was able to speak to these type of people. And they wanted to know why did I want to speak to these type of people. So the fascination and the curiosity. What's your mom thinking about all of this at this time? Um, my mom was excited. My uh, son's mother, which was my wife at the time, she was excited but nervous because uh, one of my first <clears throat> interviews was New York Times, and she's like, the New York Times don't understand this type of stuff. They're going to crush you, Antoine. They're going to crush you. But the man persuaded me and persuaded me to do the interview. So I did an interview with the New York Times, and uh, it appeared in the, uh, if I'm not mistaken, the Metro section of the New York Times. It was a great interview, 1,500, 1,600 words. The cameraman that came out to interview me, everybody was loosening me up because I still wasn't talking, yeah. even though I had the cameraman. So he explained to me, he said, uh, do you know the, the New York Times wants to give you a job? They're excited about what you're doing. So he said, let me explain to you where I come from. He said, uh, I'm a cameraman, and I do war stories. They sent a war cameraman to shoot you. He said, I've been through the shit that you've probably talked about. He said, I've been kidnapped. You know that? I've been kidnapped on one of my uh, journalist experiences. And uh, everyone else that was next to me was killed, Antoine. They were killed. You know what saved me? And he pulled out a harmonica. And he said, this harmonica saved my life. He said, so I don't know if you want to do this interview, but this is real. And they're putting real people to come do this interview. So I'm a real cameraman that handles real things, not just fluff. Yeah, yeah. You remember his name? No, but I remember the uh, the the writer. His name was Chris Hedges. Yeah, can we give a toast to that? Oh, Chris Hedges, of course. Chris Hedges wow. became like my agent. Your your life journey is is so colorful, and so littered with discipline, stick to witiveness, drive. That I I wanted to make sure my audience can get through this and understand this from here. Your experiences, your ability to put this magazine together and tell the story of people who actually people don't want to hear their story and then getting the entire society to be like, wow, this is riveting. As we get ready to wrap, could you tell us some of the things that are working on that you're coming up with um, that you can talk about? Doing something big with LL Cool J. I'm doing something huge with Rock Nation. Um, Got a couple of big digital deals. You can look on, look at my stuff on Feds Media TV or YouTube. We're just starting that. Um, you can check out some old work I did at, at Viceland. We got about eight million views. I um, got a lot of stuff coming up. A whole, whole lot of stuff. You know, we're now going digital. 
So we're now a real threat. Nice. Antoine Clark, owner of Feds Magazine. As we get ready to close on SQR Podcast, we always ask, ask our guest, Antoine, I give you the magic wand. Okay. You have two things that you can impact in this world or for yourself. Whatever you want to do, boom, the first thing, what do you want to do? I want to keep surviving, keep my family doing, doing great. You know. Your second wish? Um, to take this mag magazine that I created, this thing that I created, that I gave to BET, that I gave to Court TV, that I shared, I, I, I want this to go further. I want now to take this digital and really be unstopped like I was when I, when I had the publishing empire, how I had distribution on lock. I distributed uh, Dub Magazine, which was a nationally distributed magazine, but I controlled distributed in New York City. I broke the edges for them. You know, I controlled Uptown Magazine. That was a national distributed magazine by Magic Johnson. I controlled their distribution in New York. It all went through me. You know, I had distribution from New York City around the country to Fez Magazine. I pretended like I was a white man on the phone and I got distribution in every place. Blockbuster videos, videos, Walmart, Kroger's, places that you would never expect to see this type of content. True. Wow, wow. The impact you've made is not only valid and intangible, but what you're going to do in the future, because these stories consistently need to be told, my, my dude. I'm going to scare the shit out of the kids, because that's, the, that's the, the real mission, not to glorify them. This wasn't for glorification. I could have put anyone to put on the cover if I wanted to glorify them. I picked known criminals that did devastating shit to their crew members to dismantle the love. That's what this is about. Not glorification to take a, a, a known black or Hispanic gangster and put them on the cover. That's what American Gangster was. Mm -hmm. They wanted to pay me to put different people on the cover. One of them was Sancho Rucker. They wanted to make her an American Gangster. And I said, you people do not understand what gangsters are. There are gangsters and there are criminals. There's a difference. A gangster wants to be a gangster no matter what. There's some stories that I interview people when I ask them, what could you have done different? They said, nothing. I wanted to be a legend. I am now a legend. Those are people for American gangster. Those are people you cannot change. But what I can do is grab something, excuse me. No problem, no problem. What I can do is grab something devastating out, out of their story to make someone afraid to be them afraid to be around them. So the next person that comes to them and say, listen, I want you to do this. I want you to do, be down with my crew. They're gonna think about one of these stories where a crew member killed the other crew member but told them I loved them. I love you, man, I love you to death. And for 10 years and still kill them. So they're gonna think of that. SQL Podcast, Court Rosenberg, wow, wow, wow. You know what's so funny is, and when you look at the pictures and the stories that are told, you may think it's a glorification of this lifestyle. And I'm glad you took the moment to clarify that. If you're not that. from this lifestyle, you're going to call it a glorification. But if you're from this lifestyle, you're going to understand that it's not glorification. You have to be from it. The New York Times couldn't do this. Yeah, they couldn't tell that story. No, Court TV couldn't tell these stories correctly because they wouldn't understand it. This is glorification for them because they don't understand it, but they just take it and make a profit. This is glorification. I chose each story for a reason. I went out to California and spent time with the Bloods when New York City were about to become Bloods. They were about to become Bloods. I went out there to rip it apart, talk shit, 
Like, yo, you guys are not are not ready for this. This is they're not gang banging for a fad. They gang bang for the dead. There's not a fad. They gang bang because of the last dead person. That's why it keeps going. They do not let the dead go. New York City didn't have the dead. So what are you gang banging for? So I went to California and then went and got OG Mac, the lead of the bloods, to try to tell him, this is not for you. So you know what he did? He said, listen, if you want my interview, you gotta invest in the bloods. So you know what I asked him? I said, who's your arch enemy? He said, the Latinos, of course, and threw out his chest. If you go get my issue, I said, no problem. I'll invest thousands. But you got to make T-shirts that say black and Latino love. So he made those T-shirts. He sold those T-shirts, built him a company, was frustrated at me that I would not let him put United Blood Nation on the shirts. It had to say black and Latino love. love. So what did I do? I did my fucking job. I did my job. It looks like glorification. I got something out of it. I got an excellent story, and I ripped it apart a little bit. Now you're standing with Spanish guys that you hated. Now you're walking around with black and Latino love on your shirt, and you didn't want to do it. But in order to do business with me, you had to do it. <clears throat> what an impact. Escure Podcast, Gore Rosenberg. Yo, you just dropped a major jewel right there. And it shows how you can still conquer Goliath by taking a completely different route. You know what I mean? Kill hate with love. That was big, my dude. And I can only imagine what's coming up on the radar for you. You know, you mentioned what you're working on, but with that input, with that mindset, with that outlook, it's just the beginning of what you're about to do right now. No my guest, Antoine Clark, owner, founder of Feds Magazine. Thank you so much, my dude, for dropping through the SQR podcast and dropping just dudes. Yo, we get ready to close right now. And, you know, as we wrap this up, Antoine's going to just share a, a little bit of a story. We're going to reorganize the set and have him drop a little bit of story on one of his most fascinating interviews that he's had in putting Feds Magazine together. Stay tuned. One, Antoine Clark, SQR podcast, Gore Rosenberg. Bombs. <laughs>